Um, I want to talk to you about a topic today that I've spoken on before, but I think it's, um, I think it's going to be, I think it's an important one. I'm going to come down there. Is that all right? Uh, I want to talk to you about a topic that's kind of, has been uh, really, it has many, many facets of it, and I, I'm going to tackle some of those today and give you a little bit of background. But the title of this message is Shame Killer. Shame Killer. Anyone ever deal with shame before? Come on, raise your hand if you've ever dealt with shame before. The ones that haven't raised their hand are dealing with shame about dealing with shame, all right? Um, shame is is an inevitable part of human nature. Shame is something that people carry. Uh, we were talking a little bit about this in, um, in when we were back here. We, we sit in this office over here before service, and the band does, and talk about service and, and other nonsense. And, um, and Jen, we call her Aunt Jen, Aunt Jen here said something, the one that was on the flute today, and she said, guilt is optional. Right, is that what you said? Now, shame and guilt aren't the same thing, but they're kind of in the same category. She said guilt is optional. In other words, we decide that we're going to take on guilt. And shame is the same thing. We make a decision that we're going to allow shame to fall on our shoulders. There are actually three words in the Hebrew for shame. I want to break down some of these for you. The first one is bush. It's B-U-W-S-H is pronounced bush like booth with an S-H. It's used most often um, of the three words. There's not, that this word's used the most in the Old Testament. It's used 119 times, and it's a verb that means ashamed or covered with shame. Do you know I've never met anyone that just had like a little sprinkle of shame? Shame has kind of two modes. It's either non-existent or it covers you. It, it smothers you and blankets you. The, the Hebraic pictographs, this is interesting. When, they, when they're writing with their pictographs in, in Hebrew, it, it, they, use, they, they used to illustrate the root of this word, this, this word that means ashamed or covered with shame, by creating a picture of a consuming fire. And the idea was, is that this thing that covers you eats you up from the inside. They knew this 5,000 years ago. That shame would be like a, an internal consuming fire that would eat you up from the inside. Uh, in Jeremiah 17, 13, if, if, you're, if you're writing notes, it uses the same variation of this word when it reads, all who abandon you will be put to shame. That's the word here that's being used here, that, that bush. The second word, another version of the word, it's used 73 times, is the word kerpa. C-H-E-R-P-A-H is pronounced kerpa. It's a noun that means reproach or taunt. It's, it's used when, when they speak of Christ, um, it, which speaks of Christ being an object of scorn. That's kerpa an object of scorn. People hated him. They, they shamed him. There's another word that's uh, used called erva. And it's, a, it's a, a word derived from the word era, 
And it's a verb that means hope, hope helplessly exposed. Twice that word is used to refer, and, and it's, it's a word that we translate, we translate all three of these into shame or ashamed or covered in shame. Twice it's used to refer to undefended territory. Anybody have any undefended territory in their lives? The answer is yes, we do. Um, it's really interesting because all three of these, which have some pretty distinct differences, all get translated to the same word in the Hebrew. And when we look and begin to progress towards the New Testament, we see both in the Old and New Testament some examples of what shame will make you do. One of the number one things that we find almost unanimously in people that are carrying shame or have been shamed is hiding. Various forms of hiding. Protecting themselves from what they believe might be the consequences of or protecting themselves from what people think, protecting themselves from the looks, the opinions, the criticism of people, they, they, we hide. In, in David's case, David is looking over the, the balcony and, and he sees a woman there and we know the story, but the end result of it is to try to cover not the sin, but to cover his feeling of shame, it lead to, led to murder. I'm guessing that if David didn't feel the shame he felt, he would have never had Uriah murdered. Do you understand that the shame he felt wasn't just self-imposed, but the shame he felt was imposed by religion, by culture, by society. He felt layers and layers upon layers of shame for the mistake he made that caused him to murder a man, drove him to it, to hide. Because what happens if they find out? I've got to have this man killed because I can't be found out. For the woman at the well we find in John 4, because of time, I'm going to just kind of run through these quickly. You don't have to worry about the screen here. But in John 4, we see a woman from Samaria come to draw water. Now, it's important that the scriptures describe where she's from. I don't, I don't know if you realize this. I, I, it hit me on the way to church because I'm thinking about the scriptures and thinking about what I'm going to say today. And It hit me today. The, the scriptures wouldn't necessarily, on face value, it, it does, intrinsically does, but on face value wouldn't lose the power of the story if it just said a woman came to draw water. Right? Or when we talk about the man left for dead on the side of the road and we begin to distinguish where they're from, we call it, we have the good Samaritan that comes along, right? Why are we so, why, why, why do we have the scripture? Why is God specifically in these stories calling out the Samaritan, the Gentile, come on, the Jew, where they're from? Because the cultural and political and religious um, uh, implications of being a Samaritan versus a Jew or is, is, is vast. So we have this woman, not just any woman, a woman from Samaria. She comes to draw water and she says to Jesus, um, Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Now I want you to picture this. First of all, this woman, as we know, has been married five times and she's currently dating 
or with another, another man who's not her husband. So between her being a Samaritan and her carrying the shame of five husbands plus one, <laughs> right? She decides, I'm going to draw my water at midday because in the hot sun in the middle of the day, nobody draws water, then it's too hot to carry it back home. She decides to brave the heat to go draw water. Why? She's hiding. She doesn't want people, to, she doesn't want to show her face. I'm going to stop right there. For, you know how many people don't want to show their face in church because of the shame they feel? America, the, the American church has experienced a 40% decline in attendance in the last 10 years, and that doesn't include the decline from COVID. 40% of chairs that were filled 10 years ago in churches in our nation are now sitting there empty. If we eliminated shame, we wouldn't have enough chairs. The chair manufacturers would run out of material to make chairs, we'd have so many people in the doors of church because people inherently, not inherently, inherently and inherently, but inherently want to connect with their creator. They want to feel loved by something bigger than themselves, but they don't walk in and sit in a seat because they're hiding. They're coming to the well at midday. They don't want to see anybody. Who do you think's made them feel that way? The pulpit, God's man, faith and power, God's lady, ready for the hour. This, and then perpetuated with their friends and so, you know, the, the people that sit in their row that look down at them and so you're divorced again. That one didn't work out either. A couple of those, guess what? They're going to the well at midday. We say, oh, come, all you who are heavy laden, and he will give you rest. But don't mess up while you're here. Come on, do you hear me today? Don't come with a past. Don't come with something we don't like or issues that we, don't, we can't handle. Come on. Oh, just come and drink from the water. This lady's trying to get water, one of the most basic the most basic need for sustenance in life. And she doesn't even feel like she can join her own community at the well because of the shame she carries. If you don't think shame will drive you to do some crazy place things into some crazy places, I'm telling you it will. And so this woman, check this out, this woman comes and, she, and she, Jesus says, give me a drink. And we kind of know the story. They go back and forth. But I want to highlight, if you will, verse uh, 9 where it says the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? It's very, it, this is the English standard version. This is not some Dan's wacky version. I'm gonna get to that one in a second, all right? <laughs> it's, it, he says, the question is not even at this point, how can you give water to a woman who's been married five times? Or how can a woman who's been married five times give water to you? That's not the question here. The question is, I'm Samaritan, you're Jew. You have really, really negative feelings about me. I have really negative feelings about you. 
because of your cultural label. And, 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 and I'm gonna read this to you. This is so beautiful. It says, the woman obviously anticipated this request and was ready for, with her response. She says, you're a Jew, aren't you? So why would you expect to get anything for free from a Samaritan woman? Within the politics of the day, Jews looked down upon Samaritans and had no dealings with them. She knew very well how strategically en route this precious well was and that political leverage it gave her over weary Jewish travelers. This was a Samaritan town between two Jewish cities. Verse 10, I'm gonna read it to you in the SV and then I'll read it to you in Dan's wacky version. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now Jesus understands the cultural conflict here. Jesus understands that, that she's Samaritan, he's Jew. He's not dumb, he, he, he studied, he gets it, he understands it. He's trying to break through, he's trying to see his grace and the gift of free living water break through this cultural barrier of this, do you hear me today, of this woman who didn't think that she belonged sitting there giving this man water. There was not supposed to be an exchange here. First of all, I don't wanna be seen. Then I show up and you're here and now you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, to give you a Jew water. Jesus understood all that. Listen to this. This is so important. Jesus was not at all intimidated or embarrassed by her political stance. He didn't allow his awareness of his weariness and desperate thirst as well as an obvious opportunity to negotiate for a quick fix drink to distract from his person and message. I could stop there and preach for 10 years on that, all right? Instead of associating himself with the Jews as a mere Jew and endorsing the Samaritan's inferior political identity or the shame she carried because of her culture and label, he immediately engaged with her with a far superior conversation. I'm gonna tell you today, the church at large is engaged in an inferior conversation. There is a far superior conversation to have. We aren't brave enough yet to have it. We are. We will be. We're getting there. But I would like Harvest to be the church that leads the way in a far more significant and important conversation that we should be having. And it's simply this. He escaped the temptation to see himself or the lady reduced to a lesser identity. He knew who he was and what his mission was all about as the Messiah of mankind. By seeing himself, he was able to see her in the same light. What he had to offer her was not for sale. He looked her in the eye and he said, if you could see the generosity of God's grace gift, you would perceive who I am. I am so much more than a Jewish man and you are so much more than a Samaritan woman. So here I'm asking you for a drink when you should be asking me and I would give you the water of life for free. Jesus broke down with his love and grace for a woman he should have never been talking to according to the law. He broke her down with love, with grace, with kindness. He did not take the superior position he did not say, I am Jew and you're a Samaritan. He, he invited her up to an elevated conversation beyond cultural differences, beyond labels, beyond 
political stance beyond any of the stuff that seems to divide our nation and church today. He invited her to a far superior conversation. He said, I am not the Jew and you are the Samaritan woman who I shouldn't even be, I shouldn't even give, I shouldn't even act like you exist here at the well. And when I come to the well, you should immediately either get me water or clear yourself of this space because as a Jewish man, it's gonna be your fault a, as a woman, and B, as a Samaritan woman, it's gonna be your fault that the two of us are talking, not mine. So get yourself out of my space, let me get some water and go on my, my way. No, no, no. He engages with her as an equal. He invites her up to a superior conversation with his, which is, I'm not Jew talking to Samaritan. I'm not man talking, oh, come on, I can preach this. I'm not man talking to woman. I am a human being talking to a human being who if she asks, I will give freely without conditions rivers of living water. Do you hear me today? Woo, buddy. That'll make you just wanna go home and smack your mama. Not mine, because. <laughs> my mom, yeah. <laughs> It'll be more than a smack. <laughs> um, if we, I, I don't have time to go into to a, a ton more of that story, uh, but I, 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 I pivot for a moment. You think about David hiding. Think about this woman hiding. You see how Jesus Jesus dealt with, Jesus dealt with the difference. He, he bridged the gap and he said, it's not Jew and, it's not Jew and Samaritan. We're just gonna, let's get rid of that for a second. It's Dan and Norm. That's it. And he elevated to a superior conversation with his, which is, we're not gonna try to fit in to the culture of religion. Do you understand that that in America right now, that the church is warring against secular culture, but that the religious culture that has been established is more hurtful than the secular culture they're fighting. Mm -hmm. Do you hear me today? Yeah. Way more hurtful. I, I, I rarely have anyone come to church here and say to me, I'm so hurt, and I ask why, and they're like, my boss said something mean to me. It took me, it took me, uh, you know, three years to come to church because my boss was mean to me. Because the IRS sent me a notice saying I owed them more money. No, you know why they don't want to connect with their creator? Because of church culture. Because of religious culture who has hurt people over and over and over and over again because we have been stuck in an inferior conversation and God is elevating us to a far superior conversation, which is not, let's figure out what you are and what I am and what the differences are and then we'll negotiate from there. No, no, no. The far superior conversation is, are you a human being? Am I a human being? then we deserve the same access and the same, come on, the same, same God that loves me is the same God that loves you, the same God that celebrates me is the same God that celebrates you. And all of our differences don't mean anything when we're drinking from the well together. <laughs> Do you hear me? So Sunday morning or the rest of the week or when we begin to gather over there, you're gonna look around the room, you're gonna see some people that are different. All right? You're gonna see some people that are different. They're gonna maybe vote differently than you. They're gonna live differently from you. They're gonna dress differently. I mean, look at my uncle, my God, look the way he's dressed. He's got white pants on. He thinks he's in the 70s over there, okay? All right? 
you're going to see some people that are a little bit different. But guess what? At the well, we're all the same. Come on. When we're drinking the rivers of living water, we're on the same level playing field as anyone else. Next story and last story. The woman with the issue of blood. She was bleeding, hemorrhaging for years. Now, I am not a woman, although today I can identify as one if I want, all right? I am not a woman. I will say this to you, um, but from what I hear, it's no fun when it happens for three days in the month. Well, I'm not checking y'all, okay? <laughs> Five, seven. My heavens, now we know who's okay. Ladies, you need to get together and come up with a number so we can, we can get this right, all right? Just an average. We're going to get a running average here. We need a mathematician. No, five days a month or seven. Years. Every day. Hemorrhaging blood. And do you understand culturally unclean. Women would separate themselves from all of the men for those five days or seven days. Sorry, I said three. My God, I'm going to hate mail over this. <laughs> With links to educate myself on the cycle. <laughs> I need it. Unclean. Culturally unclean. You separated yourself from the men. You were essentially almost like mourning. You, you, you were unclean. This woman was perpetually unclean. She chose Jerry a crowd, maybe like this one, to slip in unnoticed, full of shame, knowing deep down in her soul because of what culture and religious tradition told her she didn't belong because she was unclean. She slipped in. She thought to herself, when no one's looking, maybe, maybe if I just, like, he won't know. They won't know. I'll just be another woman in the crowd. They won't know that I'm unclean. I'll just slip in. You know, there's some people here this morning at Harvest Church that slipped in that feel unclean and feel full of shame and feel like they don't belong here and they're just wondering if without anybody looking, if they can touch the hem of the garment of their creator of God and feel just for a moment that they're, what, what was unclean is now clean and that they've been redeemed, that they feel love, they feel acceptance, they feel healing, they feel wounds being healed, they feel whatever they came in here dealing with with shame. They're just coming to slip in quietly, unnoticed, unannounced, and just just to see if I can touch the hem of his garment. Interesting here because I, uh, it says, Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was, what? Not hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people, why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Do you, know, do you understand the miracle here? The miracle is not 
her not bleeding anymore. The miracle is Jesus called her out of hiding. Come on, you gotta see this. This is gonna blow your mind if you let it. Jesus called her out of hiding. She wasn't hidden anymore. You know what that means? He broke the shame off of her. When, when, the, when the bleeding stopped, it wasn't about the bleeding. It was about the shame of being unclean. And when the shame of being unclean was broken off of her, what happened? That was the miracle. Now, the stopping bleeding was a part of the miracle, but the real core of what happened and transformed this woman is, I'm no longer unclean. Therefore, I don't have to carry shame anymore, which means I don't have to hide myself anymore. Don't let that sit with you. Romans 10 says this. In verse 11, it says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you know what verse 12 is? We all are in agreement that 12 is after 11, right? It's only one, it's the next one. You know what verse 12 is? For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on who? All who call him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm gonna read you this in my wacky version because I like it. (laughs) Scripture declares that whosoever believes in Christ to be the fulfillment of the promise of God to redeem mankind will not be ashamed. Nothing distinguishes the Jew from the Greek when it comes to the generosity of God. He responds responds with equal, equal, my God, I can't even talk. He responds with equal benevolence to everyone who seems themselves identified in him. They realize that God defines them and not their cultural identity. Church, we cannot buy into the greater churches or culture's way of labeling and putting identity on people. We have to remove ourselves You can't be the white guy with glasses, even though that's not offensive. You can't anymore. You're just another child of the king. That's it. You can't be the green-eyed guy or the brown-eyed lady. He attaches almost every time we deal with solving shame. He follows it up with, because there is no distinction between Samaritan and Jew, between Greek and Jew, between Gentile and Jew, between this person and that person. There's no distinguish, no, nothing to distinguish them or distinction. And I love the, the way that the mirror puts this because it says that he responds with equal benevolence. 
which means his generosity and all that he has is equally distributed because he no longer sees Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Come on. Harvest, here's my heart today for all of us. My heart today for all of us as a church is I want the most accepted of our community and the most classically rejected of our community to feel equally loved here. If that radical idea hurts your feelings, I don't, I, I would ask that you ask the Lord to bring your heart to a place that understands the motive be, behind his equal benevolence and generosity for all. Why? Because I might look like I have it together. I'm a mess. You know the difference between somebody whose life is a mess and somebody whose life isn't a mess? The one who isn't a mess has the gift of hiding better. That's it. I, I want to say this to you. The Lord gave me a prophetic word right now. You, yes, you are a mess. Like a real mess. Like nobody even knows how big of a mess you are. That's a word from God. You were a mess. Just admit it. Guess what? If you're a Samaritan or a Greek or a Gentile or a Jew, you're a skeptic, agnostic, whatever you are today, you are equally loved and the gift and benevolence of heaven is the same for you as it is for anybody else. There is no distinction. And if there isn't a distinction in heaven, there sure as heck is not gonna be a distinction here in this church. Do you hear me today? And so my heart is this, simply this. I want us to be, and I believe that we are well on our way. I want us to be the place where the most rejected and the most accepted feel the exact same here. They walk in and they go, what, wh where has this been all my life? Come here. And if you don't feel that here, you come tell me and I will do everything I can for you to feel that. But this should be a place where you're never gonna, you're never gonna get one of these. Well, if you're like really, really normal, you might get one of those. And I apologize for that. We're trying to work on that. But if you're super normal, you might want to go, we got a normie here, normie, 10 o'clock. Not you, and that's Norman. You know, we got a normie. Call them normies, right? But wouldn't it be wonderful if we continued as a body of Christ to pursue what this would look like if that woman didn't feel like she had to slip into the crowd quietly because of her shame. We could call people out of hiding. You don't need to hide anymore. You don't need to be afraid anymore. You don't need to, to time your visit to the well so no one else sees you. You can come in the morning at the same time as everyone else and receive the same river of living water as everybody else and be welcomed, loved, and feel the benevolence and the generosity of God over your life. This is the good news. And this book or Mac computer, I should get an endorsement for this. This book is full 
of really good news, especially for those of us that are willing to admit that my prophetic word was right and we're a mess. It is. And Jen, you were right this morning. Guilt is optional and so is shame. And this will be a church that if there's anything that we hunt down and destroy, it's gonna be shame. We will be a shame-free zone. We will be a shame-free zone. Do you hear me today? If you walk in here with shame, we will do everything we can to release you from shame. Do you hear me today? We, I, I wanna, I, I'm closing, I'm trying, but I want you to know this. Aaron, do you wanna say something? Is that why you raised your hand? Okay. I want you to know this. There is nothing any of you, any of you have done. Nothing. that should require you to carry around shame and the burden of it. Nothing. Nothing. No crime. No, no mistake. For the one in here that's been married the most times, no shame. For those that have found them place, themselves in a place where they had to not carry through with a pregnancy, no shame, zero. For those that messed up, made a mistake, maybe lost custody of their children, whatever it is, there's no shame. You can come to the well and drink alongside of everyone else. And I, the only thing that will make me mad as a pastor is seeing you walk around with shame because it is it will make you hide. It will make you crazy. <laughs> it will torment you. It will eat you up like a consuming fire from the inside out. And we want this to be a place where you can come and be completely free and to know that you have been totally and completely redeemed and restored. Do you hear me today? Aaron, do you want to say something and then we can go home? Sorry, today's a little longer. I'm a little fired up. So I just want to, this is going to be weird, but it's a little activity and we can end here. I really want to get in a big circle, shoulder to shoulder. So around the sanctuary, if you will, just, and we'll close it in where we need to shore it up. Look at you all. I mean, like, you all are A students, weren't you? All right, so we're going to need to bring it in down here so we can connect the circle. Maybe bring it up a little bit. Come up. Come on now. You may need to cut into the rows so we can be... We got it? We're good. Okay. All right. I just like this format better. Because Dan likes it less because he's no longer the center of attention. But... <laughs> <laughs> But when Dan was preaching, I thought to myself, it actually is really easy to hide in shame when we're in these rows. But no one, you can't hide in this, can you? Right? You can. For years, I lived in shame. I grew up in the church, I'm a pastor's kid, from sexual abuse, from being a queer woman, all sorts of stuff 
grew up living in a lot, a lot of shame. I'm going to be 40 here in November. And I'm really just starting to break out of it. It's so hard to be seen. It's like we want to be seen, but it's so stinking uncomfortable to be seen, like to be really seen for who we are. From everything from the day we were born to this moment in time. So I just ask, if you want to break out of that, break out of the shame, break out of anything that you may be carrying, I want you to be seen, we want you to be seen, and I know it's hard and it's scary, but if you want to, just step in the middle here, because as a family, we want to see you and we want to know you. So just step forward. If you feel like, ah, God, I'm scared, (laughs) just be seen by your families by your loved ones, by this body of Christ right here. And say, no more, right? No more, no more, no more, no more, right? Just no more shame. Now feel good. What's your name? Victoria. Victoria. Michelle. Jim. Jim. Donald. Robin. Michael. Barb. Anybody else? Just yell out your name if you don't want to step here. Anybody? All right. So God, in this moment, we see all of our friends here. And we break off shame from everybody. Every single person in this room, no more shame. That we can be seen. You know what? Brother David. (laughs) It's my Uncle Dave. No more shame. I want you when you walk, we want you, all of us, when you walk in those doors, that you're the freest that you felt all week. And you can take it with you week after week, day after day. No more shame. There's nothing, nothing has anything on you. No secret. No, but you don't know what I did. It doesn't matter. Nothing, nothing has, hold, has a hold on you. Jesus has you. This family has you. All right? Believe that, KK? All right. Get out of here. Meet us over in the sanctuary in the new building. We want to show you around. <laughs>